Amen. You want to follow along with us today, you can open up your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 17. I believe that today, as we continue this series on Go Deeper, is an extremely important day. In fact, I believe it's so much so that I, I believe if there's any sermon that the enemy has not wanted me to preach, this is it. Because I believe it has that much potential to be a life-changing event for every one of us here today. You see, most of us miss out on God's one ultimate purpose for us. And the one thing that He intends for all of us to do. You see, Paul said in Romans chapter 1, the just will live by faith. Now, he was quoting the Old Testament there. He was quoting the prophet Habakkuk who in chapter 2, verse 4 of his book said, the just or the righteous will live by his faith. We are called to live our lives by faith. So it's important, vitally so, that we understand what faith is and how we can live by it. You know, the apostles were walking along with Jesus in John chapter 6, and as they were going, they asked him the question, they said, what must we do to do the works of God? And what they really meant by that was, is what must we do to be obedient? What does God expect from us? What does God the Father want us to do with our life? Like so many of us, we're just asking about purpose. Why am I here? And what am I supposed to be about the business of doing? And in verse 29, he answers their questions with these words, their question with these words. He says, the work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. Now that word believe, if we break it down in the original language, means something a little deeper than just simple intellectual assent to some truth. It definitely means that, but it also means to trust, to rely upon, to press in to that truth which we believe. So he is in effect saying, the one thing that God wants you to do is to have faith in me, the one he has sent. The one thing that God wants you to do is to have faith in Jesus Christ. That's the one thing God wants for you this morning. Whatever else your thought is this morning, whatever other question you came in here asking today, you just need to understand there's one thing that God wants from you. One thing that God wants for you, and that is to live by faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved by faith because of the grace of God given us on the cross. By faith alone, not of works, we are saved. We continue to be saved and walk as saved people. Saved from sin, saved from death, saved from hell, saved from the power of sin, saved from eternal separation from God. We are standing right now saved because of our faith alone, not of anything else, not because of anything else. One day we'll stand before God. He will declare us His just and saved people. And on that day, in that moment, it will be because of our faith in Jesus Christ and His work on the cross that we will then be saved. And for every day and every moment that we live and draw breath on this earth, we are called to live moment by moment, experience after experience, an entirety of life by faith alone. The entirety of our life is faith. Martin Luther said it this way. He said, God our Father has made all things depend on faith so that whoever has faith will have everything and whoever does not have faith will have nothing. No truer words 
have ever been said. So it begs the question, what is biblical faith? What does it mean to have faith? I need to know what faith is if that's the one thing God demands of me, if it's the one thing God expects from me, if it's the one thing God wants me to be about the business of doing today is walking, living, experiencing biblical faith in Him, what is faith? And how do I experience it? How do I exercise it? Well, we go back to our story about the lepers this morning. And I want to contend this morning that there are really three types of faith represented in this story, and biblical faith is the combination of all three rolled into one. Walk with me here and see what happened. These ten lepers in our passage today lived outside of the village. They didn't live in the village Jesus was visiting. Because lepers were not allowed to do so. If you look in Leviticus chapter 13, you don't have to turn there right now. I'll just tell you this, and you can take my word for it. But if you'd like to go back later and look at it, you're more than welcome to. In Leviticus chapter 13, there are all kinds of, of, of rules or, or, or things that are set forth for people who have skin diseases. Uh, and if you had some type of lesion on your skin, you would go to the priest. The priest would inspect you. He would give you an examination. If he found that you had leprosy, uh, he would declare you and pronounce you unclean and you were commanded at that point to go live outside of the camp, to go live outside of the village. And that is where these ten men found themselves. They had been declared unclean by the priest and they had been commanded, instructed to go live outside of town. And that's what they were doing. But even outside of town, the good news of Jesus had reached their ears. They had heard about this Jesus, and they had heard that he had the power to heal. And not only that, but he had the power to even heal leprosy. And so they came crying out to him from a distance and said, Jesus, we want you to heal us. Now, what they were experiencing when they heard this good news was what I will call this morning intellectual faith. It is intellectual assent to some truth. Now, listen to me carefully this morning. Because I'm going to tell you something this morning. You, many of us, think that we have faith. God has been telling us, convicting us, showing us, teaching us to have faith. And we think we have faith when we do not have faith. Because we don't really understand what faith is. You see, intellectual faith is not in and of itself faith. It's one part of what faith is. A biblical faith is. You have to first understand the truth. That's what these men had an intellectual understanding that Jesus can heal people and Jesus can even heal leprosy. He can heal people of leprosy. And, and they wanted him to heal them. Now, that's, that's indicative. We, we understand that here, indicated here by the fact that they came to Jesus. They didn't just hear about Jesus. They heard Jesus was around them somewhere close by coming to their town. And so they wanted him to heal them. So they went out and cried out to him. Please heal us. They had an intellectual faith and an emotional faith. The emotional faith was the desire for God to do for them, for Jesus to do for them, what they had heard that he had done for others. Now, most believers, that's where they stop. Most believers in Christ have an intellectual faith. They understand that God can do anything. And they have an emotional faith. That is, they believe God can do anything, and they want Him to do what they've heard He has done for other people for them. And they cry out to God, God, please do this. God, do for me what you've done for others. They plead with Him. They may fast and pray for Him to do that at length, begging, pleading, even with tears. God, I've heard you can do this. 
I've heard nothing is impossible for you. I want you to do this for me. I'm pleading with you to do this for me. That's where most people stop. That's, That's all they know of faith. That may be you this morning. Now, we're going to get to the third type of faith and, and how biblical faith is completed in the three parts of it in just a minute. But I want us to understand these first two parts completely and how, how we come to experience them in our life. You know, we read in Scripture what God does and what He has done and what He intends to do. We read about God raising the dead, Jesus raising the dead, healing the sick, feeding the 5,000. We read... Uh, about David the adulterer, uh, Paul the, the murderer, and Rahab the harlot. And we see how God completely changed their life, how He completely made them into a new creation, and He made them part of His people and loved them and saved them. And we read about how God makes all things new and how He makes us born again and how He intends to do those things. And so we read these things and then we experience, we see other people, God do things for other people around us in our life. And so because of what we read and because of what we see and because of what we hear, we come to an intellectual understanding God can do anything and we have this emotional desire to see God do it in our own life. That's good. These are good things. But we can't stop there. Most believers experience intellectual and emotional faith on a regular basis. Most do. We regularly face crises and needs which cannot be provided by our own needs, by our own means, rather. We believe God can provide, and we desire Him to do so. You say, okay, I understand. I have intellectual faith and a desire, an emotional faith. What's next? How do I experience biblical faith? When you look at this story, it's interesting. And you have to understand a little bit more of Leviticus to really understand what was going on here and to understand the kind of faith these men were experiencing and expressing and holding in Christ. Because, you see, if you go on to chapter 14 of Leviticus, what you see there (coughs) are the instructions for what one is supposed to do when cured of leprosy. See, if you were a leper and one day you looked down and your skin was free of leprosy and you had been healed you were to go to the priest who would again examine you. And when he discovered and when he determined that you no longer had a skin disease and you had been healed of it, you had been healed of your leprosy, he would declare you clean and offer a sacrifice accordingly. So these men approached Jesus with the belief that he could heal them. They had the desire for Jesus to do so. Jesus simply tells them, now this is interesting here because you go back and look at this passage of Scripture. I want you to see this with me today. What Jesus does here, he, he goes back in here and he tells these guys, he says in, in Luke 17, turn over a couple pages, I turned to the wrong passage, I want to read this to you. Luke 17, Jesus continued on to Jerusalem. He reached the border of Galilee and Samaria. He, he entered the village there. Ten lepers stood at a distance, like they were supposed to, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus looks at them and says, Go show yourselves to the priest. He is telling them, go do what you're supposed to do when you're healed of leprosy. Look at the next verse. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. See, these men were told by Jesus, go do what Leviticus 14. Now, they knew what Leviticus 14 was all about. 
They'd been looking forward to the day that they could go to the priest cleansed, declared clean, made whole and healed, and able to go back and live in town amongst their relatives and friends and participate in the worship of the people. They had looked forward to this day ever since they had been declared unclean. And Jesus says, go show yourself to the priests. In that moment, not one of them were healed. Not one of them. They, they, they stood around and, and they could have looked at one another and said, guys, nothing happened to me. It doesn't look like anything happened to you. And in that very moment was their crisis of belief. That was their moment to exercise what I'll call this morning a volitional faith, a faith of the will and action. I didn't come up with that word volitional. But it is what it is. It is a faith that takes steps out of a boat onto water. In that moment, they looked around at one another and they could have said, nothing happened to me. I don't know about you, Ted, but nothing happened to me. Joe, what happened to you over here? It doesn't look like anything happened to you at all, brother. You look worse than you ever looked. None of us are healed. And they could have gone on back home. You see, they were either going to take a step towards the priest or they were going to take a step back to the house. Wherever they put their foot was going to determine whether they were healed or whether they stayed a leper. If they had gone back to the house, they would have stayed lepers. If they had taken that first step back towards the house, they would have remained lepers. You see, that's where most of us are this morning. An intellectual understanding that God can do anything. An emotional desire for God to do everything. But when the rubber meets the road, so to speak, we take steps back to the house rather than forward to our healing. Forward to what God has declared is. Jesus had declared you're healed. It didn't look like it. Faith is not about seeing though, is it? Faith is an evidence, is evidence of things unseen. You see, most of us would have taken a step back home. Most in this generation would have said, I don't see any healing. We'll come back next Sunday and try again. See, we would have gone back home and we would have gone back home to pray. We would have said, Lord, I know you can heal. I've heard about it. I need you to heal me, Lord. And we would cry and we would plead and we'd fall back on our face before God. And God would say, I can heal you. I know you want me to heal you. I desire to heal you. In fact, I've already said you're healed, but you didn't take a step towards the priest. All you're experiencing is intellectual assent to a truth and an emotional desire to see it happen, but you have not stepped out on that faith to see yourself walking the water. So you're still sick. Now, I'm not just talking about healings here. I'm talking about anything you have a word from God for in your life, anything that he has spoken to you that you are not experiencing, anything he says in his word that is yours that you do not right now possess, the reason you do not has nothing to do with God and everything to do with you. Now, you have not exercised a biblical faith. You may believe something is true and emotionally want it to happen, but you have not begun to live your life based on the facts of what God has said. These lepers did something extraordinary that day. These lepers looked around and said, I still look sick. But Jesus said, I'm healed because he told me to go to the priest. And you only go to the priest if you're healed. That's the only reason you go back there if you're a leper is if you've been made well. 
And so they did something extraordinary that day. They decided to act as though they were already healed, even though it didn't look like they were healed because Jesus had said they were healed. That's biblical faith. Biblical faith is acting as though a thing is so when it is not so in order for it to be so because it is so. Look at that. You need to read it. This is biblical faith. I believe God can do something. I want God to do something. God has spoken to me in his word that he intends to do something. It doesn't look like it is so, but it is so even when it is not so because God has already said it is so. These lepers looked around at one another and they said, Jesus just said we're well. We don't look well, but Jesus just said we're well. He said go to the priest. And so they said we can either go back home or we can go to the priest. I look around, I look at myself, and it looks like I'm still sick. I'm going to the priest. Here we go. Boom. And they were healed. The moment they took a step, they were healed. The moment they took a step, they were healed. Jesus is waiting for us to take a step. He's waiting for us to have that kind of faith. To take a step out on what he has said is true. That is biblical faith. These lepers were able to have faith in a word from God. And God has given you word too. You say, I don't know if God's ever given me a word. Yeah, he's given you a word. And when God gives you a word about something, you can know with certainty that it'll happen regardless of what your circumstances look like. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have that which, which we ask of him. God's given you a word. You say, I haven't got no word from God. I never heard that audible voice. I don't have a word from God. Yes, you do have a word from God. First of all, you have the word of God, which is God's word to you. When you see something in Scripture that God has said is yours and you're not experiencing it, it's time for you to get out of the boat and walk on some water. It's time for you to take a step toward the priest instead of going back home asking for the hundredth time or the hundredth time the hundredth time for the same thing over and over and over again that God has already declared is yours, but you have yet to reach out and grab hold of what he has already declared to be yours. Now let's go back one week and talk about anxiety. Jesus said through the apostle Paul, he said, the spirit of God said, be anxious in nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What he's saying is if you'll do this, then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It is yours. Seek first the kingdom of God and his way of doing things. And all of these things will be added unto you. What things was Jesus talking about that day? He was talking about anything you have need of in your life. You can depend on him. It's already given. Already given. Over and over and over again. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will do what? Make your path straight. Will he make your path straight some of the time, 50% of the time, 75% of the time, or all the time? Every time if you trust him. And stop leaning on your own consideration and pragmatism. He's going to make your path straight every time. God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. All things are some of the things. 50% of the things or 75% of the things. No, God said all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. There are a great many promises in the scriptures. I could go on and on and on. When Jesus said something is yours to be had, you have it if you have faith 
to receive it. But faith to receive it is not intellectual faith and an understanding that God can do it or an emotional kind of faith where you really want him to do it. It's an intellectual and emotional faith that reaches out and takes hold of it and depends upon it and trusts in it even when your circumstances say something altogether, entirely even different. How do you know God's will? you got the Word of God. But you also have those other moments when God speaks into your life. And those are a little harder, a little more difficult to explain sometimes. Now, they never contradict Scripture. God always affirms and confirms them. And you feel that deep conviction. Listen, God is real, and He is a living God. He's not a pretend. He's not a figment of our imagination. So God is still speaking today. I I remember that I was lying in bed one night saying my prayers as a 13-year-old teenager, and I was saying, a prayer that an evangelist told us to pray every night as youth. And I prayed it. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Because Jimmy Nettles said, if if I just pray this every night, that you'll, you'll tell me what you want me to do with my life. You'll speak to me and show me what you want me to do with my life. And God said, I want you to preach the word. I want you to be a preacher. I want you to be a pastor. I said, I don't, I'll be the best deacon you ever had. And I'll be a Sunday school teacher, and I'll do a lot of other things, but I'm not sure about that, Lord. But over the next two years, God confirmed, God affirmed, and he made certain my call to where from that point on, I always knew what God wanted me to do. See, I have a word. I have faith. I believe and trust this is what God has called me vocationally to do with my life. And so no matter what comes my way, I've always stood firm. And there have been many times I've said, Lord, I want to go do something else. I'm I'm in college. I said, I think I'm going to major in something else, go do something else. That would last about three days, and I just couldn't deal with conviction anymore. There were times in seminary I said, I just got to get away from this. I'm going to do something else, Lord. I think I'm just going to do something else in my life. I'm going to quit seminary. And God said, well, you go right ahead, but I still called you. And I had no peace in my life about doing anything else, and I couldn't leave it. And somebody told me that one time when God was affirming and confirming that call from him, that word from him. They said, listen, if you can go do anything else, go do it because it's going to be a hard life. But if he's really called you to it, you won't be able to leave and go do anything else. And I found that to be the case. If you're really seeking God and seeking his will and seeking his way for your life, You're going to have no peace doing anything else. And so I stepped out on faith, and I trust, and I believe, and I go, and I walk, come what may. And there have been a few crazy things along the way, trust me. See, God's still speaking today. And when God speaks a word to you, then you can know, and you can trust. He's going to provide for you. I I use this next illustration. I know I've used it before. It's been probably two years ago. Nobody in here remembers a thing. Not even my wife, all right? The illustrations, most of you have not heard this. Some of you will say, he's used that illustration. You, you, need your, you, you needle your husband or wife, and they say, I've heard this before. Okay? That's all right. Just listen to it again because it's, it's just too good to pass up, and I had to use it today, all right? One of the greatest teachers on faith and the greatest preachers on faith came from this very area. Not originally, because originally he's from Louisiana, I believe it was, where he was born, but he came and lived here till the end of his life, mainly Beasley. He went to church over here at First Baptist Euless. Go look him up. There's a great, great biography of his life on, on Amazon. You can get it. You can get an ebook and you can read it. And you'll just read it cover to cover as quick as you can because it's just good stuff. And it's an entire life lived, living out what I'm preaching today. 
He's got a PDF file, a teaching online, a 12-part series on faith. Go look it up. Read it. Study it. God, God will shake you up. My manly Beasley one time, he, this, this fellow had a great intimacy with God. He had a, he had a, a word from God. He had gone to visit his son who was in Brownwood. I believe he attended Howard Payne down there at the time. And he uh, went down to visit his son and a couple of his friends. And they all got in the car, piled in the car because Manly was going to take them to dinner. And so they went out to this diner, this cafe, and they pulled up. And Manly had a word from God. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's, there's a, a fine line between presumption upon God and faith in God. And you better have a word from God or you're just presuming upon God, whatever it is that you may want. These fellows that say, if you want a million dollars, just have faith in God. Really believe it, and God's going to give it to you. That's presumption upon God. may not be a word from God that you're supposed to have that. Okay? might be, and that's great if it is. But you, you be sure it's a word from God. And you learn the difference as you go in life, don't you? And as you walk with God, don't you? And as they were getting out of the car, Manly felt like he had a word from God. And so here's what he told the boys. He said, boys, I want you to pull out your wallets. And they pulled them out. Said, what do you want to do with these, Daddy? Said, throw them in the car. So they threw them in the car. I thought, well, Daddy's going to buy us, buy us dinner tonight. That's good. All his friends, you know, Manly's going to buy us dinner. This is, this is good. Then they watched Manly take his wallet out and throw it in there with him, closed the door and locked it and walked inside. Said, y'all order whatever you want. He said, God told me he's got this. They ordered their burgers and steak and whatever else they wanted. And they sat there and had a great time. Nobody worried about anything. Came to the end of the meal and the waitress came over and said, Mr. Beasley, somebody in the restaurant paid your bill tonight. So they've already left. Don't, they're not here to thank, but they've already paid your bill. You don't have anything to worry about. I said, thank you very much. I knew that was going to be the case tonight. So thank you. And then they left. Now, do you think God would have impressed upon somebody to pay his bill if he'd have walked in there with his wallet? I don't think so. No. No. See, he had a word from God. Now, you can have that kind of intimacy with God, guys. If you abide with him, as John 15 says, you're going to have intimacy with God. You're going to begin to hear his voice. And there are going to be those times you're going to be overwhelmed with conviction that God has spoken something specifically to you. And it may seem crazy to you in the moment. There was, a, there was a time that Manly needed a, a, a trailer and some money. And he, he was just didn't know how in the world that was going to happen. Didn't even know. I don't even think who to ask for it. And so all of a sudden somebody came up to his door and knocked on his door and said, I was driving down the road about 60 miles from here and God just came all over me and said, you need a trailer. Do you need a trailer? Yeah, I need a trailer. Said, you need a little money too because he told me to give you this money. You see, when we start believing, we start experiencing God. People say, where is God? Why didn't God do things today the way he did in, in, in the old days? I, 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 would, I would just tell you this. I really believe the reason is is because we have substituted an intellectual and emotional faith for an intellectual, emotional, and volitional faith, all rolled up into one, which equals biblical faith. See, these lepers are demonstrating for us what it means to have a biblical faith in God. And I believe that in this day and time, there are very, very few people who are actually walking in a biblical faith. Don't you want that for your life? Don't you want something that is real and tangible and that you can hold on to? Once you have a word from God, you act on it. That's how you have this kind of faith. 
Once you have a word from God, you act on it. You begin living your life as though it is so when it is not so in order for it to be so because it is so. Because God says it so. Isn't that something? You want this kind of life? You want this kind of faith? That's all you got to do right there. You, you, you just have to step out when God gives you a word. You just have to step out and begin living your life as though it is so, when it is not so, in order for it to be so, because God says it is so. When God says... Get up and walk on the water, you get out of the boat. When God says get up and, and walk on the water, you get your feet wet. When He says to go show yourself to the priest, you start moving your feet in the direction of the priest, regardless of what your circumstances might indicate, regardless of your own understanding in the situation. When He says to go and do and speak, you go and you do and you speak. And when God says, wait, well, you just sit back and watch what he's about to do. <laughs> Let me tell you something. In the moments that God calls us to a faith-filled moment of waiting on him, the coming work of the Lord is always well worth the wait. I was sitting over here. Years ago, back probably in 2003, 4, 5, I don't know when it was. It was a long time ago anyway. It was Cheddar's over here in Euless that I was sitting in. Is that Euless over there? Somewhere. Anyway, Bedford. I was sitting down across from this guy. I have no contact with this man anymore. Name's John. Nice guy. People come in your life, they leave your life, you know. That just happens. God used him, spoke into my life. And one day we were talking about my dating life because I was probably 33 or 4 years old and single and everybody thought, what well, you know, what's going on with you? So I'm certain that was, you know, why it came up. Maybe I brought it up. I don't know, and it doesn't matter. What I do remember about this is that at some moment in time during the meal, he looked across from me and he said, let me ask you something, James. Do you believe that God has called you to be married? I said, yes, I do. And I'll just kind of give you the paraphrase here. But more or less what he basically said, then shut your mouth about your dating life. He was probably nicer than that and didn't say it like that or anything. But basically he was cutting to the chase because here's what he had to say for me. And this is the thing you need to remember. He said, if God has called you to be married and you have a word from God that he has called you to be married and he intends for you to be married, then right in this moment, right this second, he is bringing you to her and her to you. It is done. We're just looking around to see how it's going to happen now. But if he has called you and you have a word from God, then it's time to have faith. Don't just want it. Don't just believe God can do it. Don't just have an intellectual idea that he can do this or the emotional want of him doing it. But he said, if you have a word from God on it, you begin to live your life as a married man. That is, you begin to live as though you are walking the aisle. You're just waiting to see who's at the end of it. What about Abraham? 
See, I still had to wait probably about another five, six, seven years before I, I met Kim. That seemed a long time to me, but what about someone like Abraham? He'd been waiting his whole life for a son. Sarah had been waiting her whole life for a child. They were miserable because they had no children. Abraham's like, God, why don't you give me all this stuff? You've blessed me, and that's great, but everything I own is going to go to somebody that's not even my child, not even in my bloodline. It's going to go to my servant, my chief servant. God comes along and says he's going to give him a child. Well, did it happen nine months later? No. It was years later. But at the end of that time, to a man and a woman, well past childbearing years, 100 years of age or so or close, they had a little baby boy, Isaac. And through that, Isaac came Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. I'd say that they did pretty well, didn't they? See, when God calls you to a holy kind of waiting, then you have faith to stand back and watch and wait for what he's going to do. Because if there is a holy waiting to that which God has given you a word for, you can know that when it comes to pass, it is going to be well worth the wait. It will be well worth the wait for what God gives you. See, we're called to live a life of faith. And it's an active kind of living even when we seem to be sitting. You got that? See, we're called to live a life of faith, but it is an active thing. It's a belief and trust. We are acting as though it is true when it is not true because it is true because he said it is true. We're called to leave the pragmatism behind. We're called to leave behind this idea that we need to lean on the way we see things and our own view of things and our own idea of things and our own understanding of things. And we're to lean upon, trust in, believe upon, trust in what God has said true as though it is already true. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. It is a substance. It is real. It is tangible. It's what we lay our hands on. Faith is something that is beyond an idea, beyond an emotion. It is a reality. How did you get saved? You got saved with this kind of faith or you're not saved. You believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You emotionally were moved by that. You were even convicted in your soul about that. That's not enough to get anyone saved. You moved beyond those two things and you moved into a prayer and committed your life to him. You said, Lord, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and I'm giving my life to you and I'm depending for eternity on what you did on that cross at Golgotha on that day for me. I'm giving you me. Intellectual, emotional, volitional, all rolled up into one biblical faith. And you got saved. And from that moment on, God has called you to live by the same kind of faith that got you saved. That's what we're supposed to do when we live by faith. So once you have a word from God, you begin living your life as though it is so, when it is not so, in order for it to be so, because it is so, because God said so. Let me tell you something. We talk about going deeper. There is no going deeper if you can't get to the bottom of what it all is about in the first place. See, we, we can't talk about how we're to live out this life of Christ if we can't get the one thing by which and from which we are to live the entirety of our life in Christ. And that is by faith. Let me tell you something. This morning, you may not have ever 
truly received Jesus Christ as your Savior because this morning you realize I had an intellectual faith, but I had nothing else. Or I had an intellectual and emotional faith, but I never really gave my heart and life to Jesus. I never really depended and trusted upon Him and leaned into Him and rested into Him like I'm in this chair this morning. You know, the old illustration about the chair, I believe it can hold me up. I want it to hold me up. I'm tired. But until I go and sit down in that chair, there's no faith. There's no volitional faith, you see. And so some of you this morning may believe Jesus can save me. I really want Him to save me. But you've never really been saved because you have never yet to this moment as a matter of the will, depended upon Him to save you. And you're still working hard, attending church, trying to do every good thing you can because you think at the end of the day that's going to have something to do with it. And if you're sitting here this morning with doubts, this morning is your moment to get saved, really saved. Come to Jesus and in a relationship with Him, lean on Him and rest. But you know, there are a lot of Christians in this room. You are saved, but ever since that moment of biblical faith, you have struggled to have anything resembling biblical faith you have read about what God does. You have read about how He feeds the 5,000, but you don't believe He can feed you. You have read about how He provides needs for people, and you don't believe that He can provide for you. You have, you have read about how He can heal, and there are gifts of healing, but you never really believe that He can heal you. You believe that He can make all things new, and you can't give your past to Him. You believe that He can make people a new creation, but you just can't get away from the guilt and shame of who you once were. You believe that he can make you born again, but you, you think you still got the DNA of the old man combined somehow with the new man. And he's made you all new if you're really saved. You see, you're facing things in your family and in your work and in your life, and you are struggling because you're taking the weight of these things upon yourself. And God has said, I want these things. Give them to me. Have faith in me. He wants to give you a word. I'm going to close with this one last thing. As I was praying, I was thinking about this. Thought, how many things in our life do we already possess and already have, practically speaking, because God has says it is so, that we have yet to fully experience because we've not had the faith to do so. And one of the things that came to my mind is how much and how often are we praying in this country for revival? Does God not want to bring revival? He wants to bring revival. Has God told us how to get to revival? Absolutely, He has told us how to get to revival. My people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I'll heal their land. What about your life personally? You want revival in your life personally? The same invitation is open to you. If you want revival and you have felt far from God, all you have to do is get humble before Him, pray, seek His face, turn from your sin. Turn your face to Him. If you have faith and you believe that, if you trust that that is true for you, then He is going to do it. He's going to revive you. You have to believe and trust and accept and begin to live as though I'm revived. Because, you know, you may not, you may not have an emotional experience. You may not have this great, you know, shining light come down upon you. You, you just may need to walk out of here today saying, It is so even though it doesn't seem so, even though I don't seem healed, and I look down and I still see my leprosy, I am not a leper anymore. I am walking to the priest. Because God has says it is so, when it is not so. So I believe it is so, so that it can be so. I believe that God wants to bring a revival to your life personally.
And I believe that God wants to bring a revival to this congregation right here. And I believe that God wants to bring revival to this city. I believe that God wants to bring a revival to this country. I believe that God is moving in revival in much of the world. And I believe that God wants to bring revival here. But I believe that there are too many people who are living in an intellectual and emotional faith and calling it biblical faith and thereby missing the reality of all that God wants to do. And he does want to do it.